Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, and we've finally got Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants back in the studio. Good morning, Stephen. And glad to be here. It's always good to get back onto 3CR, my favourite place, really. You've been such a busy boy that we Uh, missed you last regular time. Yes, well, those things happen occasionally. We all have other things that crop up and get in the way and all that sort of thing. So, yes, last time it was the Tesla's plant. That's right. (laughs) Yes, which was a great weekend. Um, Excellent. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and and the weather was kind to us. We had a little drizzle on the Friday, but the rest it was fabulous and there were good crowds and everybody seemed in a nice mood and you know there's lots of chatting and there was good talks in the marquee and yeah it's it's a fun event I love doing it so it's it's a good annual thing to go and get out and involved in and it's still got that sort of country fair feel about it it's not sort of it hasn't lost it that's good yeah it hasn't grown to something that sort of then loses what it started out being you know how some of these things can yes um so I think it's a great event. So yes, it, it should be on everybody's calendar to go out to the to the plant fair at Sylvan every uh, every autumn. So uh, of course it changes its dates a wee bit, so it's a little hard to lock it in because of Easter <laughs> sliding right. around all Changing over the place. Around. And this year, because Easter was so early, everything seemed to concertina in together. Yes. And it was which just, was a shame. It because, was a shame because yeah. it, was, it was madness. You sort of have Mythicus, and then you had the Tesla thing, and Easter in the middle of everything. And uh, you know, every time I turned around, there was something going on. You know, it was really hard to catch up. Yep. So yes, I'm not sure what Easter does next year, but hopefully it's not quite so early. Well, there is movement to standardise Easter, yes, which yeah. wouldn't be such a bad idea. We well, know where you we need stood. Is, you know, the, the different churches to get together and decide that yes, we can actually pick on a particular weekend in a particular month, and that would be really good. Yes. I mean, having it slide around all over the place doesn't make any sense anyway. No, it doesn't. How can it be an anniversary of something if, in fact, it's It's not stuck on a date? Yes. It does seem odd. But anyhow, enough of that nonsense. But anyhow, yes, so it's good to be back here. And I have to say, autumn is actually in full swing. And uh, despite my predictions of failure uh, due to the really hot, or not so much hot, but the really long, dry summer we had, um, I thought things were going to... Sort of go brown and drop off. Right. And it started that way. It did start that now, way. But I have to say up around our area at the moment, there is a blaze of colour. Uh, the avenue at the bottom of the mountain's finished already, the Honour Avenue. The oaks yes. have gone over fairly quickly. Um, but you drive around the mountain and there are maples and tulip trees and you name it. They're, mm. all, they're all turning. And they seem to be holding reasonably well. So I reckon we'll get a few weeks of absolute joy out of it. And so it obviously is a good weekend to be out and about. Absolutely. So I would definitely recommend to drive out today either to the Dandenongs or up to the Macedon Ranges. Go out and enjoy that stuff. I mean, we've got lovely autumn weather and, I mean, yesterday afternoon was interesting because it went misty up our way which I find really romantic and gorgeous. Uh, so in the afternoon, there, there was sort of these wafts of mist flowing through and you could see the beacons it's of red. It's ethereal, isn't it? It's beautiful. Yes. I love it. Um, and, of course, if the sun pops out, then everything's glowing. And, yeah, it's a great time of the year. It's a, we shouldn't be stuck indoors at this time of Absolutely year. Absolutely not. So, yes, yeah, a trip out. Definitely, yes. No, it's, it's, I, I just love 
Autumn. I think autumn in Melbourne is one of the best times of all. Well, it is. I mean, spring can be nice because we've just been through winter and we're looking forward to something else. Um, but but it's then so, the weather's iffy and it's... Yeah, it's very changeable and it can yes. be very blowy and windy. Yes. And, um, yeah, you, you, so, you can't sort of plan for anything in the spring, whereas in the autumn you have this sense that you could get away with you know, a picnic and things without worrying too much. That's and, right. You know, and, and it's not too hot as, uh, and as well as not being too windy and all that stuff. Yeah, so it's the time to be out and about and getting ready for the, getting the garden put away for the mm. winter. And as we said, it's the perfect time for planting. So now really is the time to visit nurseries. It is. I th- and certainly if you're thinking of buying something with an autumnal foliage thing going on. Go and uh, have a look yeah, at the colour. Yeah, go out and see them in the nurseries now. Look at them out in, in gardens and public spaces and things. Get your head around what colours well in your area mm. because obviously at Macedon we can make almost anything colour as long as it's not evergreen. <laughs> um, uh, but when you're down in suburban Melbourne, you've got to be a bit more selective about what you can put in because some things work really well but some things don't. Yep. So you need to be out and about having a look and see what will work for you um, because if you're going to have a garden and you're going to enjoy autumn you really need it to go out with a bang yes i don't want a whimper in autumn oh because, gosh no you know you've got that whole sort of rather dreary winter period which i still love in its own way but you've got that really long damp cold short day thing happening so you need to revel at yes. about now i agree you know you know all that sort of autumnal fruitfulness and you know all those things we think of with autumn your garden needs to reflect it and even even though your autumn colour um, doesn't last all that long. No, no. Think about combinations with underplantings, which oh, yeah. could be so stunning. Yeah. And you can you can allow your colour, if you're a colour coordinator, to relax in the autumn too, because it almost has to. You know, you've got. You can get away with almost what you'd think would be a colour clash. Well, you can have bright orange you? and red foliage underplanted with long Purple. pink marines, or for instance. Yes. Say, <laughs> yes. You know, so you can do all that stuff, and somehow or another. It, Release all your hot works. colours. Yeah, it works. Yes. It sort of works. And, yeah. and so, yes, yeah, so autumn should be a bang. Yep. And so, uh, and it certainly seems to be being just that at the moment. Mm. So jump in the car, go out and have a look around the neighbourhood, go up to the hills, have a look and see what's up there. I mean, in Melbourne, we'll probably never quite be able to reproduce the sorts of colours you can get at Macedon and in the Dandenongs. So you need to go out and enjoy that as well. But, yes, look around your own garden, see what you could do to sort of tweak your autumn a bit. Yes. And I think that's that's worthy of a, 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 a sort of a chat this morning. Absolutely, definitely. And we'll come back to some of the autumn colour you've brought in a little oh, later. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we must get to some community announcements because things are happening still. Firstly, uh, a reminder that today is the last day of the Growing Friends Autumn Plant Sale. Um, it's at uh, just inside Gate E at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. Um, Melway's map reference there is 2L reference C2. And uh, it's opening at 10 a.m. this morning, running through until 3 o'clock. And, uh, of course, the Growing Friends will all be there in attendance to give you advice um, and there's always some wonderful bargains, bargains and all the proceeds go back into the gardens. Now, also on this afternoon is the second in the concert series out in the garden at Villa Alba. Uh, now, this is starting at 3 o'clock, running through until 5.30, and Jazz Australia is presenting the John Hunt Swing Quartet, which is a tribute to Sidney Bechet. Now, uh, Villa Alba, of course, is at 44 Walmer Street in Kew. And as I say, that will be open this afternoon, the concert starting at 3 o'clock. 
Now, uh, our good friends again at uh, Open Gardens Victoria have actually got two garden openings coming up next weekend. Um, this is uh, Saturday the 23rd and Sunday the 24th of April. And these gardens are both in close proximity to each other. The first is at 5 Tavistock Road in Monbolk, and the second one is at 2 Brayside Avenue in Sherbrooke. So uh, very easy to get to both gardens to have a good look. Now, the Nook, which is the first one in Monbolk, is a beautiful romantic cottage-style garden set in the Dandenong Ranges. Um, and the uh, other one, Hillcrest, which is in Sherbrooke, is a much uh, larger garden with mature, beautiful trees um, and uh, sweeping lawns with spectacular vistas. So um, a nice contrast to go and have a look at both of those gardens. Now, they're open 10 to 4.30 on both days next weekend. Entry price is $8. Children under 18 are free. And again, Open Gardens Victoria have given us uh, a free double pass to each of those gardens. Now, listeners, uh, if you ring in, you're only allowed one, obviously, to one of the gardens, but we do have a free double pass to the Nook and another free double pass to Hillcrest. Now, the first uh, couple of people to phone in on 94190155 can each have one of those free double passes. All right, moving on, uh, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society have got their autumn flower show uh, coming up and this is going to be again uh, next Saturday and Sunday, 23rd of April, 24th of April. Now on the Saturday, 12 noon till 4pm and on the Sunday, 10am to 4pm. Entry is $5 per person, children under 14 are free and, uh, of course, as well as the flower show, there'll be uh, guided walks of the four-hectare garden, sales of rare plants and cut flowers. There'll be a member's photographic display, commercial vendors, refreshments, light lunches, sausage sizzle, ample free parking, and buses and coaches are welcomed by arrangement. So uh, if you'd like to go along to that one, the address is 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras, Melway's reference for that one is 66E12. Now, uh, <clears throat> our good friends A.B. Bishop and Angus Stewart are getting busy with a few more um, talks in regard to their new book that's been recently released, The Australian Native Garden. And uh, firstly, A.B. will be um, a speaker at the Australian Plant Society meeting on April the 29th. Uh, this is for the, um, uh, let me see, it'll be out at uh, East Keylor Airport West Uniting Church Hall, which is on the corner of Roberts Road and Glenis Avenue in Airport West. Uh, that will be starting at 8 o'clock and uh, copies of the book will be available for purchase on the night. The Melway's reference for that one is uh, Map 15, Reference H6. Then both AB and Angus uh, will be uh, guest speakers at the Paran Garden Club. This one's coming up a little bit later on the 3rd of May, 7.30pm at the Paran Learning Centre, which is in 40 Grattan Street in Paran. Cost, members $2, non-members $5, bookings are essential. 
And to book, you can phone Jenny. Uh, her number is 950-99978. Or you can phone Anne on 9827-7753. So I'll give those again, Jenny. 950-99978. Or Anne on 982-7753. And uh, the only other reminder I should give is that uh, also coming up on the 30th of April uh, is the Big Burnley Festival out at Burnley Gardens. And uh, this is uh, celebrating um, uh, another full year of events planned for the year because it is their 125 years of continuous horticultural education at University of Melbourne's Burnley campus, which is uh, phenomenal, Stephen, isn't it? Yeah, it's so, amazing. So many um, people involved with the Hort Society have, have gone through Burnley oh, in yes. one form or another. It's just been huge from the point of view of educating our horticulturists. And uh, this, uh, of course, they'll be showcasing um, the art and science of horticulture on the day and uh, running from 10 a.m. through till 3.30, there'll be... Uh, Plant advisory clinics, there'll be talks in the gardens with uh, Burnley, Burnley alumni. There'll be green infrastructure and uh, heritage garden tours, research seminars, workshops for children and adults. Uh, the Friends of Burnley Gardens will have their big plant sale there from 10 through till 3. So it's all happening on 30th of April at, at Burnley. 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond and uh, parking is in the boulevard. All right, you've got a couple there, Stephen, that's yes. happening today. <clears throat> yes, um, the two Paul Bangay Gardens. They have been mentioned, I know, but uh, today is the last day. Um, so if you want to see um, Paul's style and uh, enjoy a nice day out in a garden, uh, we have his current garden, Stonefi Stonefield, which is out of Denver, sort of between Dalesford and, you know, in that sort of... Not Colorado. No, not, <laughs> not Denver, Colorado, no. Um, and this is the first time it's been opened in the autumn, so it'll be a lovely thing to go and see it at this time of the year. And it's being opened for the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Foundation. So that's today uh, from 10am. Um, and one of his previous gardens, which hasn't been opened for about a decade, uh, is St Ambrose in Woodend, uh, which was an old Catholic schoolhouse which Paul bought uh, and landscaped around it. And it's starting to get quite a lot of maturity about it now. The trees are getting up to quite a large size. Um, and it's interesting to see how the spaces that he created are still holding their own in a way because gardens have a tendency to sort of evolve and change a bit. So it's interesting to see how... Um, you know, the hedges are now at maturity, the trees are getting up and above them, and there's this sense of, you know, scale that's sort of holding it all together. Mm. And St Ambrose will be open this morning from 9am. Um, that's in Wood Street, Wood End, so it's it's in the town, basically, and it right. should be reasonably well signposted. Uh, I'll be there all day today, so I'm, I'll be around to talk to if people want to come and have a chat to me uh, uh, as I'm curating Craig's art show that's in the uh, apartment at the end of the house. So uh, I'll be there talking about art as much as about gardening, I guess. Um, so that's a lovely idea to get out for the day. Um, 
The, as I said, the Stephanie Alexander Foundation is getting the proceeds from the Paul Bangay Garden at Denver, and the Wood End one, the proceeds will be going towards the local CFA. So, Wonderful. So it's all worthy sort of stuff that you're, you know, putting your money in for, and you get a chance to ogle at a garden that probably none of us could afford to have. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's a really lovely thing to do, and I think today's going to be a lovely day to be out and about, so, yes. Yeah, so both those gardens Beautiful. will be open today, and I'll be at the one in Wood End all day, so Hop in and say hi. Absolutely, mm. yes. Okay, well, it's high time we opened our lines for Talkback. If you'd like to phone in this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Stephen, let's, let's talk autumn colour. All right, why don't we do just that? And I've got a range of autumn coloured leaves sitting right in front of me that we can talk about. And you have to start with that spectacular one. I couldn't okay. take my eyes off it yeah, when I, I walked in. <laughs> thought we might. Um, this is a cut-leafed version of North American sumac uh, called uh, Rus glabra dissecta. Uh, and of course, as soon as you say Rus, people start go ah! panicky. And I might add, it's very funny that this whole Rus thing has been an issue. I mean, yes, there are people who have an allergy to it, but those who have an allergy to it find out fairly quickly. And like most people with allergies, you avoid the coming in contact with the plant that is a problem. And there are more people that have tulip bulb um, allergies and primula allergies than probably rust allergies. Uh, and yet, you know, there's this thing about the rust tree and people uh, won't plant it and, you know, governments talked about banning them and all that sort of thing. And the unfortunate thing is that it's only one species that actually is an allergy causing rust and that's not even a rust anymore. <laughs> So it's been taken out of the genus, uh, and it's now in a rather appropriately named genus called Toxicodendron. <laughs> and I have to say, I still have a soft spot for the tree. It is one of the great autumn colouring plants. Oh, it is. Uh, it colours well round suburban Melbourne, but this issue with the allergy is a problem. On the other hand, Russ dissector, the fern leaf Russ, isn't allergy causing. So, of course, everybody who sees it in my nursery, if they know a little bit about their gardens, they all step back and go, oh, it's a rust, it's a rust, it's a rust. In fact, the burgundy flower cones that this tree gets on it used to be soaked in water by the North American Indians um, and ter turned into a thirst-quenching, acidy drink. And, of course, sumac is also a herb. I was going to say, is and it, it the comes same from, sumac? Yeah, it comes from one of the species of rust. Right. So there's good and bad yes. uh, within genera sometimes. This particular one, that's one leaf. And what's that? The, that'd be uh, well oh, over half heavens. a metre long. Oh, easily. Um, and, the, and the leaflets are all divided and cut, so it has this wonderful ferny effect. And they have quite strong, heavy stems that come up, and then the leaves sit out on either side. So they look like plumes of feathers. Oh, it's, it's stunning. And, and it's the most amazing the is orange. The colour is incredible. It's a really fiery orange, which is a hard colour to get in autumn colours. I find yellows and reds very easy to find, but those really bright oranges can be quite hard to get. But now, it's also a mix of, of yellow yeah. and, and the deep orange so that it really highlights oh, each other. That, it, is that yeah, it just stands out. Now, the apart from the fact that people are frightened of Russ, uh, <laughs> for unfair reasons in lots of ways. Uh, and I know if you are an allergy sufferer, uh, the, to cop a case of Russ allergy is 
pretty awful. I've got an aunt who, in fact, is allergic to them. Okay. And she breaks out in the most dreadful uh, rashes and, and itches, and, and it's not pleasant. So I'm not demeaning that. No, no, no. It is there. Uh, but those who have that issue need to be aware of it. I mean, we can't get rid of bull ants either, and there are people who would have an anaphylactic shock well, if they bees. were bitten by a, I mean, yeah, And bees as well, and we love our bees. We love our bees. Yeah. So anyhow, but getting back to the russes, you can plant quite safely. There is one other downside to this particular group of russes, uh, at least from some gardeners' perspectives, and that is that you plant one and you end up with several. Oh, okay. Because it suckers. It suckers. Yeah, it does sucker. And it makes me laugh because as soon as you tell somebody something suckers, they go... They run away. They run away. And you think, well, for goodness sake, um, if you allow it to sucker, you can have a cops of them. Which, which would be incredible. Absolutely beautiful. Oh. Um, it is not that difficult to remove an odd sucker if it comes up where you don't want it. Um, and, I mean, if you don't cut the grass regularly, you end up with a forest. So, <laughs> you know, it's just another garden management yes, issue. So exactly. if you manage the plants well, there's not a problem. It will grow if it's let go into a little round-headed tree probably no more than about four metres at most. But I grow it in the garden at home and I cut it down to the ground every winter uh, and then it suckers through the garden bed, but um, it gets up to about a metre and a half to two metres tall if we have a damp summer. Right. and by cutting it down every year, then it is amongst the perennials and not above and shading everything. Right. And because it suckers, it ties the border together. Yes. So I haven't had to plant a dozen of them. I planted one and now I've got well, probably more than a dozen of them that have crept through the garden. But you just whip out any you don't want. Pot them up and sell them to someone. Um, But you do. You whip out the ones you don't want, and it doesn't have the tendency to sucker one against the other, so it doesn't swamp anything. It will sort of waft through a bed. Oh, that's good to know. The suckers might be a metre apart or more. Um, So it doesn't sort of crowd out other plants. It's very manageable. Yeah, it is, and it, it pops up in any gap. Mm. You know, so your border gets filled mm. uh, by the volunteers that come up from this rust. Uh, and so every winter I just go through and cut them off at ground level. And I do recommend ground level because if you leave stubs, you're inclined to trip over them every time you oh. step into a garden bed. True. So slice them off at ground level. And if it is well watered and fed, you'll get them easily up to the metre and a half to two metres in the current growing season. And because they have a big root system... Uh, that's been developing over a period in your garden. Obviously, they don't start out with one, but they get a decent-sized root system. When they do shoot, they not only grow up quite quickly and fast, but their leaves are even bigger. I mean, the one I bought in today is, as I said, probably, you know, sort of well over half a metre long. Um, they can be even longer on the really strong shoots that you get from this coppiced growth that comes up again. Right. So they can be these amazing big feathery things, and it's just just beautiful. So it is a plant worth having. Uh, you do have to be aware of its, uh, of, of its characteristics so that you can manage them and not have a problem with them. Yes. Um, and um, I really wish I had the room where I could not only grow it like I do in my border, but where I could allow it to come up as a, a as copse. As a coppice. Yeah, yeah. You know, beautiful. You, it would be lovely to have this drift of them that I could walk amongst in the, oh, in the yes. autumn. Uh, so, yes, the sumacs are great trees, and I tend to call them sumacs because the rust name has got such a bad reputation. I mean, I've got to put the botanical name on the labels, but I tend to talk about sumacs and try and not Fair enough. En- encourage the rust word too yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. So that's, I think, one of autumn's great plants, and it will colour in Melbourne. So um, it's well worth considering. Now, I'm, I'm intrigued by the name toxic whatever well, it was. Toxic adendron, yes. Yes, yeah. What else is in that family? It's a very small genus of one, I think. Um, what, this one? No, the Toxicodendron is now just in its own genus, and the Russ is quite a number of species. Yeah, yeah, I know uh, the Russ is, but yeah. this is no longer a Russ. 
this one is, but the other one is. The oh, toxic one the is... The toxic no, one yeah, now, the, the toxic yeah, one. Yeah, yes. And, and, and it's in it's a class all its own. It's in a genus all its own. They're still all obviously in the same family, which is, I think, the same family that cashew nuts belong in. Um, uh, so it's, it's quite a big family. There's a lot of different plants in it. Um, poison ivy in America is another one of the plants that is part of this large group okay uh, and it's also allergenic yes, of, course, of course hence poison ivy yes. um, so there's some slightly evil members of the of the whole family but you know uh, some gorgeous ones as well so toxicodendron toxicodendron is the name of the plant that we once knew as the rust that is toxic right and so it is in a genus of its own it's a very appropriate name. Uh, nobody seems to call it by the name. They still keep calling it Russ. Um, and so it'll be like Azalea. Nobody's ever going to call them Rhododendrons. No. Even though botanically that's exactly yes. what they are. Yes. Uh, so it'll always be known as a Russ uh, and sort of unfortunately because, mm. you know, it isn't anymore. It's something else. Um, and I still wouldn't mind having one of them in my own garden. But, yes, people who have allergies to them. I mean, I worked with them as a kid. We used to grow them before they became this sort of thing you shouldn't have. Uh, and we grew masses of them in on my old family nursery. And none of us in the family ever had an issue with them. Uh, and, you know, I worked intimately with them, you know, repotting them and uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed them in the autumn because that really glowing mm. orangey red that they go is absolutely mm. fabulous. I uh, had one in my own garden. For years and yeah. years and years, I inherited when we bought the house. Ah, yes, yeah. Um, it's gone to God now, unfortunately, yeah. but um, loved it. Oh, great little Absolutely tree. Absolutely loved it. And, you know, if you don't have an allergy to it, I mean, it's got everything going for it. It's a nice size for a suburban garden. Um, it casts a nice dappled shade. It doesn't make it too heavy a shade. It doesn't have a... a particularly vigorous and overbearing root system, so you can grow things in around it. Uh, so it's got all of the characteristics of the perfect little tree, except for that one little problem. That's right. So, yeah, so it is unfortunate. Um, but, um, you know, that's just the way it is. People, uh, you know... I don't actually know whether it's actually been officially banned or not, but everybody talks about how it's illegal to grow them, and I've never actually done the, the, the homework to find out whether it's actually on a banned list or not, or whether this is just one of those sort of fables sort of, yeah, that it's grown beyond. I yes. should do that one day and see if I can find out whether it is actually a banned species or not, yes. just for the sake of knowing. Yes. I, you know, I won't grow and sell it in the nursery. There's no point. No, um, no one will buy it anyway. No, well, probably not. So even if I was officially allowed to, there's probably no point in doing it. Um, uh, but, you know, there'll be the next sort of wave of people trying to ban oleanders and brugmansias again too soon, I'm sure. That, you know, that'll hit the newspapers again. And I mean, in gardening, we all realise that you don't eat things you don't know about. So, you know, if you're sensible, you don't have a problem with most of these plants. I mean, if we comprised a list of all the things that caused a problem to oh. human beings, <laughs> it would include nearly everything. Yeah, well, you'd hardly go. I mean, you wouldn't. Yeah. You know, how many people realise Daphne's poisonous? Yes, you know, there you and go. And yet we all have one. Yes. You know, it's one of our prized shrubs. Exactly. Uh, having said that, though, or, uh, poisonous it may be, but it tastes foul and you've got to consume quite a lot before it gives you any problems. But nonetheless, it's poisonous. So, you know, so you could well say, well, you know, we should get rid of those nasty, evil Daphnes as well. <laughs> so, yes, I don't know. Anyhow, oh, well. So, yes, enough of that. So, yes, it has a bad relative and it suckers. So there's a, two things against it probably as a garden plant. But nonetheless, I think it's a beautiful thing uh, and well-grown and managed and loved in a garden. It can be an absolute asset.
Absolutely. So really good plant. Just a reminder that uh, phone number, if you'd like to phone in and, and ask a gardening question this morning, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. On to the next one, Stephen. All right, well, I might talk about one that everybody loves and is familiar with, uh, but probably oh. doesn't know the diversity available here as well. And that's, of course, the maiden hair tree, the ginkgo. Yes. Just beautiful. It's one of those trees. If you can see a ginkgo in full autumn flight in its wonderful golden yellow with enough foliage that's dropped to the ground so that it's got this carpet carpet underneath it. I remember seeing this, a lovely one in the Albury Botanic Gardens. And I happened to be there one morning when the ginkgo had shed enough leaves to make this carpet, but the wind hadn't picked any up, so it made an absolute silhouette of the the tree underneath it. And the sun was shining through, and I didn't have my cap. Oh, Stephen. (laughs) That always happens. But it's up in my head, and it will be a vision that I'll always remember. Um, The ginkgo, of course, was the Woolamai pine of its era. Yes. When it was first discovered, um, you know, I mean, it had been known as fossil remains in coal and things and, and was an Australian native way back in, you know, sort of Jurassic times or whenever, um, or maybe Mesozoic times. I don't know which times. But anyway, way, way back, it was growing all over the world. Um, and it was dinosaur fodder. Um, and so when they discovered the ginkgo in China, uh, it caused a huge publicity splurge all over the world. Uh, I mean, they didn't have Twitter and Instagram and things back then, but in its time, it caused just as much sensation as anything we could have done now. And it, so it was found as a living tree. It was also found in temple gardens. So for a very long time, uh, nobody was sure whether there was any actual wild ginkgos anywhere. Now, they have found a group of ginkgos growing in China somewhere which they believe to be a natural colony. Uh, But even that, they're not 100% sure. So this tree, because it's sacred to the Chinese, Mm. um, had managed to survive so tenuously by just, you know, existing in temple gardens and places where it was being protected and cared for. Uh, And when you tell people that ginkgo is a close relative of the conifer, Nobody believes Nobody you. will believe yeah, that. Because that strange maiden hair pinule type foliage is so uncharacteristic of anything oh, in the conifer yes. um, But it goes the most wonderful yellow. And its issues, I guess, from a gardener's point of view is that ginkgos can get very big, but they're also very slow. So if you plant one, it's never going to get too big for you. So it'll be somebody else's potential problem. <laughs> um, and if you want to see a big one, the one at Geelong Botanic Gardens is actually a ripper to go and see. It's a fabulous old ginkgo, and it does have some of the aerial roots coming down off the oh, branches wonderful. and trunks, which is something that only happens when a ginkgo starts to get some serious age behind it. Uh, and because the ginkgo's been in cultivation since sort of the 1890s or whenever it was that it was first discovered... Um, it's being raised from seed time and time again over those the, that sort of century and more, and um, sort of diverse forms of it have cropped up from seed. So although there's only one wild species, ginkgo biloba, um, it's thrown aberrant seedlings on a regular basis. And so there's some really interesting forms out there that aren't just the classic ginkgo. Uh, and I might add, ginkgo, if you buy a seedling one and you end up with a girl one, when it does start to fruit, the fruit stinks when it hits the ground. So it's actually not a good idea to plant a female ginkgo or probably even a seedling one in case you end up with a female yes, ginkgo. Yes. And it will take years for you to know which you're going to have. Yes. Um, so a grafted ginkgo of known provenance is yes. quite important. And amongst the different forms you can now get, there is a beautiful pencil ginkgo that grows up like a poplar. 
Okay. So a really slender one. And I've got one in the garden at the nursery now that I planted in about the 1985-ish era. Uh, and it would now be about five metres tall, I suppose, and probably no more than a metre across all the way up. Wow. And it's just a pillar of gold when it turns in the autumn. It's just lovely. So you can get that. There is a variegated one out there, but I don't bother stocking it because it's not very stable. So it tends to throw back. So that's probably not worthwhile. But there is a lovely miniature one as well. Really? Called Marrican. And you can buy Marrican on a standard. So it grows into a ball on a stick type thing. Or you can buy it grafted down near ground level and it just makes this wonderful little gnarly shrub. And its leaves are more scalloped. So than the classical form. So it's got this wonderful wavy-edged leaf. So Marrican is lovely. It'll grow probably to a metre and a half. Wow. That's about it. Okay. Um, and so it's a really interesting ginkgo. Yeah. And there's another one that will make a small, gnarly, twisty tree called um, Saratoga. And its leaves, um, those who remember what a ginkgo looks like, it has sort of a rounded leaf with these sort of indentations as you go. And in the middle, it's got quite a strong cleft. Uh, and then it goes, sort of repeats itself on the other side. In Saratoga, the leaflets are much longer right. and the indentation goes almost to the middle. So it's oh. almost cut into two leaflets. Okay. And so you've got this sort of fingers of leaflets um, and it grows into this gnarly little tree. So it, it probably in most people's lifetimes only going to get to two, maybe three metres. It can eventually make a small tree, Saratoga, but it's never going to be a giant tree. No, no. Uh, and it has this wonderful, gnarly, almost Japanese, bonsai-esque look. Mm. So Saratoga could be worthwhile considering. But if you do like the classic ginkgo, just buy a known male grafted form, and they do do them. So you can buy a, a known male ginkgo. Uh, there are the odd, strange people out there that want a female one because, of course, the fruit is edible. Uh, the kernels inside the fruit... Um, I think the Chinese called them golden almonds is uh, oh, okay. the name they give them, something like that. Yep. Uh, and so they roast the, like a macadamia, they roast yes, the nuts yes. inside and eat them and they're considered quite a delicacy. Uh, and, of course, for those who don't remember, ginkgo is supposed to be good for your memory. So, but I'm not quite sure how you prepare it to do that. <laughs> um, but I just think it's a wonderful tree and one could argue that you're reintroducing a native when you plant one. <laughs> <laughs> Long draw, drawn bow, but, but yeah, I, I just think the ginkgo is just one of those iconic Oh, it plants. is, absolutely. Um, and look, it can grow fairly big, but again, its root system is not overly invasive. Uh, so even if you've got a big old ginkgo in your garden, it's not likely to cause as much problems as, say, a, a large old liquid amber yes. or, or an elm might do or some of those other large growing trees. Um, and it's certainly not going to get big enough to be an issue in one person's lifetime. But if you're even vaguely worried about it, buy a pencil one or a, or a, or a dwarf one, one or yeah. whatever. I believe there's even horizontal and weeping ones uh, in Europe. I don't think I've seen them here yet. Uh, But they've selected a whole range of them over the years. I'm surprised we aren't seeing more of them in Australia. They're such a stunning tree. And they're tough. And to have these forms, these different forms, I mean, can you imagine... You know, in, in, in garden design, yeah. I'm surprised we're just not. Yeah. Well, them certainly, in. if you've got the Neo Georgian and you're looking for something as a, a formal feature on either side of your front steps, then the dwarf ginkgo on a standard would be much more interesting than a box ball or a bay oh, tree. Oh, heavens, yes. You know, which I'm t- seriously tired of. And, and, and you get some seasonal variation with it. So you get the new fresh leaves in the spring, the lovely scallop leaves through the summer, the bright gold in the, in the autumn. And the winter, it's, 
the, the dwarf one, because its nodes are fairly reduced, it's got this wonderful gnarly sort of form to it. So even when it's bare in the winter, it's actually a really interesting feature plant. Right. So, yes, I'm surprised more people haven't got onto them. Uh, but, um, you know, maybe that's a good thing in some ways too because you don't want to see them everywhere. Oh, no. You know, and it's like there's lots of good plants out there that I've got tired of. Because they're just everywhere. That's right. Um, and yeah, if I see another ornamental pair, you know, it's, it gets like that because you, they're a good plant, but they're so used that you just get bored. So yeah, hopefully the ginkgos will never get quite to that level. And they probably never can because they're not fast enough growing to satisfy the no, mass market. No, that's true. That's you know, true. So they're going to be more for the devotee. Yes. As a garden plant. Yep, but I definitely. just think they're gorgeous. Oh, so do I. Wonderful thing. And really good golden yellows are worth hunting out. A lot of people get carried away by the reds. Because they look so spectacular in the autumn, but, but you to need me, the yellow, yellow is yeah. just you know yeah. backlit oh. is just and you amazing. need it to offset the reds as you well. Do. You, you need the I yellow agree. there because if you just had a garden, say of all Fleming's lipstick maples. Um, well, it'd be a bit ingestible, I have to say, because there's such a bright, violent shade of red. Um, so unless you've got these other things to mix with them, and I actually like autumn colour in a tree that actually varies slightly through the tree as well, instead of... That's the only thing I could say against the lipstick maples in a way, because they go to such a saturated, clear colour. Dense colour, yes. You know, that there's no... They look like they're being painted. <laughs> they do. You know, so they, <laughs> they don't have anything to relieve that. So you don't have a little bit of yellow through it or a bit of orange through yes. it to take away from the red. <laughs> so those sort of trees you need to use very carefully because they can be just a little over the top. I agree. Uh, and you certainly need your yellows in the garden. Oh, yes. They are just gorgeous. So... So on that note, maybe we should mention the other yellow I bought in. Well, before we do that, oh, talking I, about yellow, yeah. um, Anne has rung in on the outside line and her lemon trees are green but have yellow veins. Um, yeah. Some leaves are yellow, some are curled under. What's the problem and what should she fertilise with? Well, certainly if she's got yellow veins, that would sound like she's got a, a, a nutrient deficiency has, problem. She has, yes. So, uh, I'd be inclined to use one of the trace element products. That's what I'd use. Yeah, so get a trace element onto it. And look, some of the other things may be environmental, the curling leaves and other things. They could have been aphid earlier in the season that curled the leaves. Um, it's a little hard to say, uh, but that sounds more like an environmental issue. But leaves with yellow veins almost always say there's a trace element it's issue. It's a trace element yeah. issue. So if you get a bag of tra- or a packet of trace elements from the local hardware or, or garden centre, follow as directed um, and give sprinkle tree- it around the drip line, yeah, water and, it in. Yeah, and it's as simple as that. You might have to give them another hit in six months or something like that yep. to help correct it, but that's what I'd do. Yeah. Um, and of course, expect your citrus trees to look a little frowsy as the cold weather comes in. Anyway, they always look a little. Well, yeah, and in the cold, they can the leaves can turn yellow. Yeah. It's 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 the green veins that's the giveaway. Yeah, yeah, it's in this definitely particular some. Some sort yep. of uh, nutri- oh, uh, m- mineral. mineral deficiency. So I would definitely give it a trace yep. element hit, uh, yep. and that should fix it. Excellent. Okay, we have uh, Anne in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Whoops. We'll try again. Anne, uh, you there? Yes. Good, we have you. Oh, good morning, everyone throughout Australia. I, I've got an old... Uh, saying here that all is well that ends well amongst many of my old sayings and beliefs. Uh, I phoned up to tell everybody that my home, my dear home of over 20 years in Noble Park, I'm going to replace the cypress trees that were beside where I live not far away 
Anyway, I'm going to get someone to help me to lift up the little bit of concrete there and have at least one giant cypress replacing that for all the birds that I look after. And that's just part of what I do here. And there'll be more later, but I like to put it in poetry form. So my book, Poetic Reflections, comes out soon. I hope people keep an eye out for it because it's really worthy, wonderful reading. And I'm an optimist and I never, ever give up or give in to anyone because I'm the 1% redhead who is authentic. (laughs) Good for you. Okay. Good on you, Anne. Bye. Uh, dear. Well, okay, that number again. If you'd like to ring in and ask a gardening question, we'd love to hear from you. Nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to the team on air, which happens which to be Stephen us. and me this <laughs> yeah. morning. So, yes, uh, yes, we're the team. I, I think two people <coughs> can make a team, can't they? Well, a tag team, at least. <laughs> well, definitely. <laughs> yes, there you but, go. But nevertheless, we would love to hear from you. So do give us a call nine four one nine zero one double five. Well, we're talking about the the combination of yellows and red, mm. Stephen. I should I should just mention that I've got um, in my garden a golden ash and a claret ash. Yeah. But when you pull in into the driveway, it's the golden ash because it's that yellow. Yeah. You know that that really hits you. Yeah. Um, whereas the 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 claret ash, although when it's in full colour, is stunning, mm. absolutely stunning. Um, it's a lot more muted at this yeah, time of the year. Of it hasn't it come into full colour yet, whereas the golden ash is in full yeah. glory. And it's I do find the claret ashes tend not to hold terribly well either. They, yeah, they, they are a one-week wonder. Yep. Um, and you're right, they're a very dark clarity They colour. are dark. Yeah, and, and, yeah, they... and, and at the moment I, I've got the colour in the tops, but mm. the, the base of the tree is still very dark green. And so... Mm. It doesn't really do much at the moment. Actually, I have to say, if I were going to plant an ash, uh, I certainly have no problems with a golden ash, because you're right, they are quite stunning. But if I wanted something that went into the burgundy tones, I actually wouldn't plant a claret ash. I'd Mm. actually plant a manor ash, Mm. Fraxinus ornus, um, for several reasons. Uh, One is that in uh, in midsummer it comes out with a mass of white-scented flowers, which is something you don't expect with an ash. Uh, But it does, these sort of fluffy white flowers all over the top of the tree. But when it turns in the autumn, the outside of the tree goes a dark clarity colour, but the inside of the tree goes butter yellow. Oh. So you get the two in one. Yes. Uh, and it's, well, it's actually not even butter yellow. It's, it's paler than that. Okay. It's a soft, soft lemon right. with this burgundy outside. Um, and, and the burgundy's got a fair bit of plum in it. It's got this sort of almost, almost a bluey purpley tint. tint. Blue yeah. Yes. Um, and so the combination's quite unique. I don't know another tree that colours quite in the same way as the, as the manor ash. Um, it's also a nice round-headed, comparatively small ash, so it's not a great big tree, so it would be uh, within scope for a suburban-sized lawn. Um, and you don't see an awful lot of them around. Mm. Uh, and I think it's a shame because the manor ash gives you two seasons of glory. So you've got the lovely scented flowers in high summer and then the good autumn foliage. Yep. Uh, and, yes, it's not as sombre as the claret ash. And I have to say, I think it's a longer-lived tree. I'm finding that there's a lot of older claret ashes out there that are getting to sort of the 60 and 80 years old, and they're falling apart. They do drop limbs. 
Yes, they're very, they have those very sharp V crotches. They're not actually yes. a very sound tree. No, they're not. Um, so, yeah, claret ashes are one of those that I have mixed feelings about. Yep. Um, and certainly, uh, I know we planted some up Mount Macedon Road at one stage uh, when I was younger and naiva, um, and we're starting to lose a few limbs out of those now, and it's a bit unfortunate because they just started to get up to nice big trees, yep. uh, and now we're starting to lose some limbs out of them. So they're not a tree I recommend anymore. So I think there are better ones, and certainly the the Fraxinus ornus, the, the manor ash, is lovely, mm. and more people should use it. And of course, the ashes in general are very tough; they're drought tolerant, they're cold tolerant, uh, heat tolerant. Uh, so they'll cope with most things out there, and and they'll just sort of plod along doing their thing. So yeah, consider a manor ash okay. as a good tree. Yep, excellent. Okay, next we're going to Elaine out in Burwood. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning to both of you. I've got uh, two sick um, Hoyas. Mm. Right. Uh, they're, they're different shaped leaf. One is a round oval sort of shape, yeah. uh, about four inches long, and it's gone, uh, got quite a lot of yellow leaves on it now, mm. and I don't think I remembered to give them some uh, lime last October. Mm. I think that's normal what I do, but I don't, can't remember giving them the lime. Yeah. And that one and the normal shape leaf uh, one that's beside it uh, also has got uh, white, clear white, looks like salt if you'd sprinkle Soft, very heavy on the leaves uh, mm. in a bunch about or a bit bigger than a dinner plate, uh, all the leaves in that area, uh, would uh, have this salt. And I've just been out and try, I, because I hosed them down just the other day mm. to try and get rid of the white off them. But uh, no, it's back this morning as thick as ever. Yeah. Uh, all right. What size pots are they in? Uh, only six inches. Mm, how big would the plants be? Oh, very big. Yeah, well, I'd say that they are, although Hoyas love to be root-bound, yep. I think they've got to the point where they need a slightly bigger pot. Oh, yes. Now, I wouldn't do it now. I'd do it in the spring. Yes. I think it's, you know, it's going to get cold even if it hasn't yet, mm-hmm. and Hoyas don't like their roots tampered with when it's cold. So I'd repot them in the spring, and if they're in a six-inch pot, I'd go up to about an eight-inch pot, that's all. Yes. Uh, so I'd repot them in the spring in a well-drained um I've got the pot standing in sand mm. with other, um, more sand around the small pots to keep them standing up straight, you yeah. know. Mm. Yeah, well, I think they just need to be repotted in mm-hmm. fresh potting mix. Give them a bit of Osmocote when you pot them up. Okay. Uh, but Hoyas yeah. do tend to thrive on neglect. And look, everybody says that Hoyas like a little bit of lime, but I've got my grandmother's Hoya on the front veranda and, and it gets water. And that's it. And it's been there 20 years. Mm. Well, that's what I'm wondering if I've let them dry out too much this winter. Well, look, they don't like to get dead dry, but if they get too dry, the leaves start to lose their fleshiness. They start to look yeah. leathery. Yeah. So you can always tell if... Well, there's two reasons why a Hoya would go like that. It's either underwater or it's actually over water and the roots have rotted off it and it's not taking up any water because, in fact, it can't because the roots mm. have died. So... If the leaves go that sort of limp and leathery look, then you can feel reasonably confident that that's underwater mm. uh, in one way or another. Um, 
If they've yellowed a bit, well, you always get the odd yellow leaf, so that's not something to panic about. But if the whole plant is going a bit yellow, then it's it's obviously due for some sort of feeding. Mm. Um, and osmocote or something oh, slow release like that is probably the safest and best thing to use. Um, and I don't know about the lime. Look, lots of people use it, um, and some people seem to have lovely Hoyas, but I'm wondering whether they have lovely Hoyas despite the lime. Yes. I, I don't know that it's that necessary. And certainly I mean, I've never they, done they it with my grandmother's. They neglect, yeah, let's face yeah, it. My grandmother's plant's on the front veranda, and I've been training it along wires, so I've got a, pot, a terracotta pot that's growing in that sits on the veranda, and I've got these wires that I've attached to the veranda wall uh, that go up out in a sort of a star pattern. Yeah. And I've run them along the wires, and they're right up to the ceiling, and I've run them over the tops of the windows on either side of the uh, mm. veranda. Um, it doesn't flower all that often. It's got a few flowers on it at the moment, but that's possibly because it's growing at Macedon, and that's really borderline for them. Um, but it's fine, and I just remember to water it every so often, and sometimes I hose it down not to get rid of any white crystallised stuff, which could in fact be the lime yeah. coming up through the leaves, yeah. um, but in fact just to get the dust and grime and cobwebs out of it. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I've been meaning to go out with a soft cloth and, and, and give them a bit of a polish because they're getting pretty grotty at the moment. Um, and that's the issue with some of these plants. If you're going to grow them well, they've got to look smart. Yes. And Would most you of the time they um, that um, good oil that you put on some plants, I've just forgotten its name, uh, you, that I just clean the white stuff off them. Yeah, look, I would probably use a bit of white oil or uh, eco oil, eco eco oil, oil or one yes, of those products you. and just wipe it over. Um, but I don't know that I'd be worrying too much about liming your Hoyas. No. I mean, I'd, I'd, right. I'd leave that you know, alone. Because when I think, the more I think about it, Hoyas are often epiphytic in the wild. They grow up in the forks of trees, in the moss and leaf litter that drops in there. In most of those environments, apart from a bit of bird poo that they'd possibly get, yeah. uh, they're not getting a lot of food. And I'd be really surprised if it's alkaline, mm. where they grow naturally. Yes. I would have thought it would be more likely to be acidic. So, you know, so people do say Hoyas like lime, but I'm not so sure they need it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, so I wouldn't worry about that side of things. Yeah, well, um, I just might uh, clean them with that eco yeah. oil. Do I that. know I've got some of that. Yeah, yep. well, do that, and that won't do any harm. And it might clean up any bugs and things that are there as well. You might have a little bit of scale or something like that on your Hoyas that you haven't noticed. Yes, um, well, they're growing in these small pots, and they've gone up to the roof. I've yeah. taken them across the top of the roof yeah. uh, in, under the veranda yeah. um, on uh, stainless steel wire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Last year I counted a hundred flowers and I said, "Oh, you're mad counting flowers." So <laughs> I didn't count. It any does give more you something to do. <laughs> Gives you bragging rights. Yeah, it does give you bragging rights. If you've got over a hundred flowers on your hoyas, they've they've obviously and done they've quite well. Flowered from November through, and there's one hmm. there this morning because I've just been out and looked. Oh, well, you can count one very easily. Yes. yes. <laughs> so but, I, yeah, I think it's time to repot. I know that people yep. say they need to be in small pots and a bit right. cut down. Late September. Yeah, early late September, October. early October. But yeah. if it's as big as you say the hoya is, I think it is due for a repotting, both of them. Yeah, well, I know they're 10-, 15-year-old. Yeah, well, yep. if you've had them that long, yeah, it's probably getting close. Thank you. That's a pleasure. Oh, and I must tell you, my daughter comes down from Sydney every uh, flowered show day. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, she bought a ginkgo this year. Oh, good for her. <laughs> yes. yes. Took it back to Sydney. Yeah. And they should grow fine up there. Excellent. Yeah, yeah so there you yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Thank Bye. you. 
Well, there you go. Yes. Somebody has bought a ginkgo. Good. <laughs> Next up, we have uh, Ali out in Armadale. Good morning, Ali. Oh, good morning. Um, I find I'm uh, forgetting things as I get older. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, should I be cutting down my perennials now or late in winter? Well, it depends on the perennials a little bit. Yes, it does. Um, ah, I mean, okay. if they're ornamental grasses and things, the no. dead corpse can look quite nice through the winter anyway yep. and can give some structure. Really, for me, uh, I prune the perennials down when they look rubbish. Uh-huh. So once they start to look really awful, um, you certainly want to leave them whilst they're still green for as long as possible so that the nutrients can go back into the roots of the plant. So I wouldn't be taking off green foliage perennials yet uh, right. if they're still looking very green. Um, but it really doesn't matter then when you do it. It can be any time during the winter. In fact, sometimes the time to cut your perennials down is when you've got the time to cut the perennials down. Right. I was wondering about... Uh, Zalchneria, which um, yeah. I've never grown before and has flowered its head off. Yeah, it's a good little plant. Yeah, and also Agastache, is Agastache. that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, look, both of those I'd leave to lateish. Right. to prune down because they're they're sort of so almost sub-shrubby. They're not as perennially as some things. That, so they will keep feeding themselves quite well into the winter because they'll keep greenery. Right. Um, and I have to say, if you cut everything down too early, then you end up with quite a vacant-looking garden. Yes. So even if they're not looking at their absolute pristine best, sometimes it's better to have them there filling the space yes. than to not have them at all. Yes. So that's and the way I look at it. So if they if they're annoying me and they look grotty and awful then down they come Uh, but if they've still got some structural quality about them and they don't look too bad and particularly if they've still got some greenery in them well then I leave them till later and dioramas you shouldn't cut down at all no no in fact any of those sort of evergreen grassy leaf type things you should just go through and try and peel out the dead leaves just to preen them and make them look clean again And so that's what I would do with those. Uh, And I might add with dietes and all those other things instead of going out with the brush cutter like the councils tend to do, which drives me insane. It looks so awful. It looks shocking. It looks like they're all joining the army and they've got a buzz cut. (laughs) And and, And they all go brown on the outside. And and, and you've got all those little um, dead bits that stay there. It's just just not It's no sense to it. I know that they're trying to tidy things up, but I'd rather have a few dead leaves through them than to cut them back like that. It looks awful. Oh, terrific. Well, thank you very much for that. That's a pleasure. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Right, next up we're going to Thelma out in Oak Park. Good morning, Thelma. Oh, good morning. Um, my problem is with the onion weed. Uh, mm. I have, have, have had it in a, a small patch in my garden, but I've even been putting the stronger roundup on it and still, uh, you know, it keeps coming back, coming back. So now, when we're talking onion weed, are we talking about the angle onion, the one that gets a little white bell flower on it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's a very good idea to define exactly what you mean before we start talking about how to deal with it, because uh, there are several things known as onion weed, and yes. so I like to make sure I know which right. one I'm talking about. Look, if it's only a small patch, mm. I had a small patch in my garden. I've managed to pretty much eradicate the whole thing, and that was mm. by digging it out. Yeah. That's well. That's exactly what I've done. Yeah. I've removed the soil. Now, yesterday I was sort of out there filling around, and when a woman mentioned lime a moment ago, I thought, I wonder before I replace the soil now, if I sprinkled some lime there, would that help? 
Well, it won't hurt, but uh, I don't see any particular necessary reason to put it reason. down. Um, it won't kill the angle onion if there's any left, no. um, although it prefers an acid soil. It'll cope with limey soils as well, so it doesn't really care one way or the other. Yep. Um, and unless you know your soil needs some lime... Yeah. What's the point? Yeah, you know, a lot of things we put down because we're told we should, and, and yeah. sometimes there's really no necessity for and it. And sometimes you can right. really create an imbalance yeah. in your right. garden because right. you're putting this and mm. that and when yeah. there's no real indication. Yeah, no. yeah. and well, so look... What I was if, going if, to do is just replace the soil and put a bit of... Uh, Compost or cow manure. To yeah. Yeah. Look, add your organic material, that's fine. Put plenty of that sort of gear in. Yeah. Uh, but if you've dug out the angle onion, keep an eye because there's every chance you've missed the odd bulb. Oh, yeah, you uh, have to have a couple of goes yeah. at it, definitely. And, yeah. But, you know, it yeah. doesn't, its bulbs don't actually go that terribly deep. So it's not. Yeah, it's easy to dig out, yeah, actually. It is comparatively yeah. easy to dig out. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you don't want to let it go to seed because as soon as you no. do that, no. then you oh, end up no, with a seed no. bank in the soil, which can last for quite some time. Yep. And so every time you turn the ground over, some more angle onion will germinate and come up. So right. never let it go to flower. Um, but, um, yeah, dig Digging it out is, is definitely the easiest way to go. And, in fact, if it's in active growth, eat it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is edible. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm not so sure that I like the texture like of it. Or something. Sorry? Pardon? Use it like chives or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. yeah cut or, it up in soup or whatever. Oh, yeah, all okay. members of the onion family are edible. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. I have to say I find the angle onion slightly slimy just yeah. as a, you know, thing yeah. that you might Textural eat in a salad. Thing, yeah. yeah, the texture side of it. But the flavour's fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'd throw it in soup or okay. use in it in an omelette or, yep. you know, whatever. So, yes, oh, you can get your own back on it. Yeah, use <laughs> out of it. All right, then. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Right, It's a pleasure. Bye. Uh, uh, we've had a listener ring in to say we've been talking uh, autumn colour to say her pistachio is looking absolutely oh, beautiful. Well, at that the is one of the trees that people around Melbourne should revel in. It looks a bit like the old-fashioned toxic rust, uh, so it's a good alternative because yes. uh, it's got a leaf that's not dissimilar in shape. Its shade of orangey red is slightly different. It's not quite the same colour, but it has the same sort of rounded head. It makes a really good little tree. And why more pistachios aren't around, I don't know. Mm. I mean, it's just an amazing little Mm. tree. Uh, And again, it makes nice light shade. You can grow things around it. Um, And uh, and it's an appropriate size for a suburban garden. Absolutely. So, yes, the pistachio is fantastic. And I'm I'm glad that somebody did ring in and remind us because it is one of those plants we should mention. Definitely. Mm. Now, let's get back to some of your autumn colour. Yeah, now, another yellow that I think is one of the great yellow plants is the tulip tree. Um, now, it's not a small tree. No, it's not. You know, so we'll get to a decent size. Um, but again, there are forms and things out there. There's actually a pencil tulip tree as well, so you can get a very narrow svelte one. And I never worry about how tall something's going to get. It's more about how wide it's going to get. It's not interfering in the sky. With no, anything. That's all free. Yes. You've got all that free sky up there. Go you know? up. Yeah, so, so Unless you're under a power line. Well, yes, obviously you do need you to look up when you bed. plant. Yes. You know, just make sure the, the power line isn't coming in over the top of it. Um, but this particular one is an interesting tulip tree because there's only two wild species. There's the North American tulip tree, which is the most familiar one, Liriodendron tulipiferum. And then there's the Chinese tulip tree, uh, Liriodendron chinensis. And this is actually Liriodendron chinensis. Now, it's a smallish leaf for its type. It can get a much bigger leaf than the one I bought in. But the big thing with this plant is that 
the lobes in the centre of the leaf are much deeper than right. the other tulip trees. So the actual shape is more defined. It still has the bitten off end yes. that tulip trees get. Um, so it has this very beautiful leaf shape. Um, it's not quite as big growing as the North American tulip tree potentially. So it's a smaller tree, but still a big tree. So don't get me wrong and plant one in a tiny space. Uh, but it has lots of other assets. Its new growth in the spring comes out coppery, which the normal tulip tree doesn't. Uh, it has a good green in the summer. Uh, then it goes a good bright yellow in the autumn, just like the, uh, the North American one. Uh, the flowers on the Chinese tulip tree are much the same shape and size, but those who've seen the flowers on a tulip tree know that they're sort of green with sort of orange down inside. With the Chinese one, they're more green. There's almost no orange, perhaps a little bit of yellowy green towards the base. So the flowers, if anything, are probably a little less conspicuous, but you don't grow tulip trees for their flowers, really. No, no. I mean, they take 10 or 15 years to start flowering anyway. Um, So you should be planting them when you turn 80 so that you've got something to live for. (laughs) It's my wicked plan. But the Chinese tulip tree has only really just become available in Australia uh, commercially in the last few years, Uh, so it's starting to find its way around, and I think it's got great potential. Mm. I mean, it's one of those plants with a unique leaf shape. Yes, oh, definitely. Uh, And so I think it's a a beautiful tree, Uh, and I have actually had a customer who's bought, I think, about a dozen of them, and he's using them on either side of his driveway, and he put them in two winters ago, I think now. And, you know, it's up at Macedon and, you know, reasonable soil. And some of them have really taken off. Some of them are already probably nearly three metres tall, you know, just in two growing seasons. Wow. And they were about sort of metre high when you put them in. Yes, Um, But they've really taken off. Right. Uh, And I think it's going to be stunning driving down his driveway. Can you imagine? With all this yellow over the top of you. uh, It's just going to be beautiful. It is. Uh, So I would certainly recommend people consider a tulip tree if they've got room to put one uh, because they are gorgeous trees. And I know them to be pretty safe about the root system issue as well. Um, uh, we had a big fight with some people in East Melbourne over one that was growing right against the side of a set of units. And I was quite literally against the wall of the units. And right. one of the corporate, uh, one of the, uh, corporate body people decided the tulip tree needed to come out just because it was big. Not because it was doing any <laughs> no, harm no, no, or damage. No, there was no damage. It just happens to be big. So to be therefore big. it must be damaging yeah, everything. it must be damaging. And it, w- it would easily have been within a metre of the wall of this three-storey set of um, units. And it had a trunk on it probably, well, the best part of a metre wide. It okay. was taller than the three-storey building. Yep. Uh, and it was a beautiful tree. Oh, yes. And they had it taken down. <sighs> and I was so upset about it. Um and the thing that makes me laugh is they had the tree taken down. Now, there's a very good chance that the root system of the tree as it rots away could, in fact, cause structural damage because it will create holes and gaps That's right. underneath the foundations. That's right. So if anything is going to cause any problems, it could actually have been taking the tree out that might cause the problems. So, yeah, so tulip trees have a fairly benign root system, uh, and they're just such a pretty, beautiful tree. Mm. So, yeah, so... Consider the Chinese version as a possibility because I'd like to see more of them out there. And it's becoming more available. It is becoming more available. Good. There's at least two wholesale growers I know of that are now selling the, the Chinese tulip tree. Okay. Um, and one of them is growing them from seed, so there must be a tree somewhere around that's now flowering and seeding. Uh, the other one, I think, is grafting them onto the North American tulip tree. I'm not sure whether that's a good idea or not. I've, I haven't made up my mind whether yes. I approve or not of that. Um 
It may be fine because they're quite closely related, so you should graft like onto like. So mm. they're fairly closely related, so it may not have any long-term issues. But, you know, if you can grow them on their own roots, it's not a bad thing. Uh, so I know certainly one of the growers I get them from raises them from seed. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's a lovely tree. Beautiful. So there we go. Okay. Let's go next to uh, Vic, who's down in Maribyrnong. Good morning, Vic. Oh, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. How are we? Not too bad, thank you. Listen, I think you've made a little mistake. Oh, God. Well, tell you've us about it. You've overlooked something. You didn't make a mistake, but you've overlooked something, and I reckon it's a bit serious. All right. What have we overlooked? Well, the lady that's got the... Uh, oh, what do you call those onions? onions? The angle onions. Yeah. Yeah. And you're telling her she can eat them. Yeah. Well, all that's good up to that point. But the problem is she problem. She's given you a problem, and you, I think you've overlooked it. And that is she's been using glyphosate on it, Roundup. Yeah. True. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know what happens when you spray something and uh, the glyphosate's oh, in I the wasn't area. suggesting she eat it if no, she no, sprayed no, no, it. No, 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 mm. but the point is... The awareness of it wasn't brought up. No, fair enough, fair enough. You know what I mean? And, yep. and I don't know, I seem to be hearing more and more adverse effects about what people uh, suffer from when they use glyphosate. Yep, yep. I totally agree, and certainly we weren't trying to suggest that if you've sprayed something yeah, that you then eat it. Eat it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I would spray things in the vegetable garden. There is no way we'd ever spray or use anything in a vegetable garden, and, and, and that applies to anything in, in the open garden. All we were meaning was if you have a pristine patch of Angle onion. You we were just commenting that it, it is possible to eat anything in the onion family. No, that's fine. Yeah. But how long after having used that stuff in your garden can you leave? Can you, like, for argument's sake, I spray a weed with that stuff, or I used to, and now it turns out I've been advised to turn that bit of garden into a, like a veggie patch. Mm. And mm. I don't know how many years. No, I no, you, you should have no problems turning it into a veggie patch. After uh, how? Uh, like, do you, you leave it a year since your last spray or two years or, you know, when's it safe? Well, I'm not altogether sure that it's not reasonably safe now. Even after a year or so, I can't see any reason why you couldn't use that ground because yeah. there will be such small residues of anything that was in the glyphosate at the time. I mean, you've probably got more residues in the ground there from people's lead petrol uh, in cars driving past, in fact, than oh. you would get from the glyphosate after a year or so. Okay. And, yeah. and I mean, unless you were soaking the ground with the stuff, um, most of it will have gone out with the weeds when the weeds were dead and were raked up and got rid of. So the stuff actually works by going in through the leaves down to the roots. And yeah, kills and, yes, and it kills systemic. the plant out that way. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't work from going in from the soil into the plant. Unless you've drenched your soil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah so, you know, for very small amounts and, and done quite some time ago. Um, or if you've just painted the cut stems yeah. of something. Yeah, so if it's, if it's, it's very... It's basically confined, yeah, yeah. confined to the plant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it should be fine. Okay. But but it's always good to think about withholding periods on anything you've put on, any yeah. chemicals of any form. Mm. So you've brought up some good points, Vic. Yeah, well, anyway, I think it had to be brought up because yeah. it seems to be getting more and more... Uh, it's coming out more and more into the open. 
Yeah, and look, this is what happens. I mean, we have products that come out. I mean, DDT was a classic example where it was going to save the world. Yep. Uh, and Best that, thing since sliced bread, yeah, and, and then, then they start studying it yeah, properly. Yeah. So, yep. And look, that could very easily happen with glyphosate, but then you've got to be very careful what you say about these things until it's proven. I mean, none of this stuff is proven at the moment. And from what I can work out, processed meats have got a higher cancer level as seen at the moment. Uh, so that bacon rasher you have for breakfast can give you, is seen to be cancer causing, whereas glyphosate is only thought to potentially be cancer causing. So it's not even on the same level as bacon at the moment. Yeah, but, but that doesn't mean it yeah, may it not mean, prove yeah. to be so. Yeah, of course it, yeah. it, yeah. it they're, could they're, well be. And, and luckily they are working on that at the moment. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. knock off the bacon. Yeah, no, I haven't been eating it anyway. Now, what's your, actually, now that we're on that, what's your view of this cleaning up weeds with steam or whatever method it is they're using? Oh, look, there's nothing wrong with it as a technique. The only issue I have with it is that it burns the top off the weeds yeah, and so bulbous things will come back again. Yeah. It doesn't get to the roots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, it it would be fine for annual weeds and things, especially if you can hit them before they go to seed. Uh, so it will knock them out. But if I had things like periwinkle with deep root systems, or things like the angle onion with bulbs well below ground level, yep. or oxalis, or any of those other bulby weeds, um, it's not going to get there. It's not going to kill them. It's just going to take the top off them. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I have, you know, some reservations about it from that perspective because you, you still have to use labour, time, effort and money to have the equipment to do the steam treatment. Uh, and if it's not going to be an effective weed control... Then you've wasted a lot of money and time. Yeah, it can be. And, yeah. and it's certainly not going to be effective against really woody weeds and, and, and things that have big underground root systems because yeah. they're just going to shoot straight back again. And, in fact, things like blackberries and things, if you prune them off at ground level with steam or just by cutting them off, you invigorate the plant. Yes, <laughs> You're re-energising yeah, it. Yeah, the, the new roots uh, or the new stems that come up from the root system will be twice as vigorous That's as the right. previous lot was. Um, and so the problem continues. Yeah, so, yeah, look, there's good and bad about nearly every technique we use, and there's no such thing as the perfect answer to any of these issues that we have in, in you, You've hit on a, a topic we could spend a whole program on, Vic, because... I reckon you ought to one day. I reckon <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad idea. No, no, seriously. Yeah. You know, this type of thing, I've been to a couple of meetings where farmers are talking about what they're doing to their own land, you know what I mean, poisoning everything and all the side effects that come with it. Uh, it seems to be a concern that's getting bigger and bigger. It is. And yes. look, we have to learn to live with nature more. Yeah. I mean, there are some plants that people spend an awful lot of time getting rid of that I would almost suggest that we live with. We just live with yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. Sometimes things are here and there's not an awful lot you can do about getting rid of them altogether. If we could have stopped them coming in in the first place, well, that would have been the, the obvious thing to do. Um, but if you're going to try and control something that's got out of control and there's not really any technique that's going to work well, uh, then you're going to throw oodles of money at the eradication of something, knowing full well when you start off that you're actually not going to eradicate it. That's right. You know, you're just not going to get on top of it. It's like some of the biological controls that have been, been released over the last few years. They have an impact on the plant that they're affecting, uh, but they rarely have any sort of strong impact. So all you do is have a less healthy Patterson's Curse or a less healthy Blackberry, and then you've also got the problems of those biological controls possibly leaping into a related species that's important to us. Mm. So, you know, blackberry rust, I'm still not convinced that that won't go into some of our other 
blackberry relatives, and certainly the the uh, insect pest that or the insect uh, that they released to help with Patterson's curse actually affects quite a number of the ornamental echiums that haven't shown any sense of being weedy. Mm. Uh, and I know that I've got echiums in my garden at home that are actually full of that leaf miner, and they look absolutely oh. awful. And so you know, so it's had an impact on my garden with plants I wanted to grow that weren't being a problem in the wild. So you've got to say, well, you know, was it a good thing? I mean, mm. there's still plenty of Patterson's curse out there. That's yeah, right. You know, you know, one thing that really I've always thought a lot about was when people used to burn all their plant, uh, all, all their plant matter. Yeah. yeah. I think that idea was good. The only thing is people abused the way to do it mm-hmm. by putting in by trying to burn wet stuff, by leaving it smoking away all yeah, day. Yeah, using a rubber tyre to get it started, yeah. <laughs> and by, by never never stirring it up to get a flame through it, mm. or by never letting it get dry enough before you light it in the first place. Yeah. I think what, what people have done is stabbed themselves in the back to, to get rid of all these things properly. Mm. And yep. then they chuck in rags and... Oh, when, yeah. You know, oh, it's not burning properly. Let's throw some petrol on it, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> all the sorts best of stupid way things. would have been to burn all this problem, and then you, then you, then you wouldn't have a, such a serious problem, would you, with all these bugs? That's yeah. right. Well, possibly so, although I have to say within my own garden, I don't burn. Uh, I recycle all my organic material in one way or another, um, and I've got a system working now where really nothing that was ever alive leaves my property except oyster shells. I still haven't worked out what to do with those. Um, uh, I've tried putting them in the compost. they just come back again. Uh, and um, it can be done if you get the right cycles going within your garden. So I have the worm composting toilet system that deals with things I can't throw into the compost. Uh, A lot of it, people have trouble with those things. Well, I haven't. I've had them for 10 <laughs> years now. You know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, well, and people need to learn what they're doing. It makes, yeah. me, it makes me a bit annoyed when the processes are being sort of poo-pooed by people who didn't know how to use them in the first place. And I'm sorry about the pun. No, no, um, but, um, yeah, so I use the worm composting toilet systems and have done for quite some time, and they're a great place to throw your angle onion and your, and your blackberry stems and anything else that the worms will then deal with. Uh, and if it's too big, it becomes kindling or firewood, and I have an open fire, and I use that. Um, so I, I recycle everything, and the ash from the fire goes back out into the garden. Um, so I've got, you know, as close as I can within a small space to being as self-sufficient in that sort of thing as possible. Um, and, um, yeah, so I don't use a green, co- a green waste bin, even though the council wants us to use them in our area, because I use all my green waste. I don't see it as waste. Yeah. So, you know, it depends on how you, what you're prepared to put into action to make things work for you. Mm. And what do you reckon, uh, what's the name of that wasp that hits the lemon tree? The oh, the gall wasp. wasp, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, my lemon tree's getting pretty badly hit by that thing. Mm. Now, what do you suggest is a good way to get rid of that? Chop it off. Yeah, okay, chop it off. That's all good. Yeah, but But then you can deform your tree if you're doing it all the time. Um, There's no real answer to gall wasp. Um, I mean, I don't want to use any chemicals on my lemon tree because I don't want chemicals in my gin and tonic. Well, apart from gin and tonic. Um, And so I would live with those issues and just cut off the worst of them and just keep moving on because even if you clean up your tree completely... You're going to lose all the lemon potential for the next year or two, potentially, and your neighbours won't, 
and it's a native insect pest that's sort of out there, and so it's just part of the natural environment. So if you want to get rid of it, or if you want to try and control it, you need to get your trees pruned by the end of August. Um, but at the end of the day... So now, by me cutting a few out now, wouldn't really do much? Probably. Well, you can take them out now, but you certainly need to get rid of them by the spring because that's when the gall wasps hatch emerge. and emerge and go off oh, and infect everybody yeah, else's trees. I cut off, I've got to get rid of you, say. Yeah. Ah, yeah, fine, fine. But it's one of those issues that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Uh, because whatever you do, you won't control gall wasp to any huge extent if you're, if, if it's endemic to your area. Once it's in your area, you've got it. You've got it. And there's not a lot you can do. Uh, I mean, you could try pricking the galls and putting some sort of systemic um, insecticide on to kill the wasp inside, but I don't know that there's any... That, that they've have actually, tried, they've experimented yeah. with it. I don't know how successful yeah. it is, So, you know, I think you've just got to grin and bear it, and in the meantime, I can laugh because it's not in my area yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's the experiment you were saying? Well, they, they tried pricking the stems and putting a, a, a systemic insecticide in, but then I wouldn't want to eat the lemons off the tree. Oh, so, right, fine. No, you know, so I don't see that as the answer, even if it was going to work. Yeah, and yeah. can you imagine going to each one and trying to it's prick into... To, I mean, it's it's easy to chop them off. Much easier. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I don't yeah. know. There really isn't an answer to that yeah. one. I think it's just one of those things we're going to have to learn to live with a bit. Yeah. How the hell does it, what does it actually do? Does it just land on a bit of wooden burrow its way in there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the wasp right. actually drills into the bark, lays its eggs inside the bark. And that's what causes the swelling. The yeah. Day. And, and then the little yeah. wasp maggots or whatever the larva of a wasp is called um, live inside the stem until they're ready to become adults. So in other words, you cut it all off to... Bloody thing flies along, drills another hole and a few. Exactly. That's exactly right. Exactly right. That's why we've all got it. Okay, we must move on, Vic. Thank you very, very much for that. That's a pleasure, Vic. Bye. Bye. Thank you. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy and in the studio this morning we do have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. If you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question, we still have time. We're running through until 9.15 as our usual time slot. So do give us a call. The number is 94190155. Next we're going to Audrey in North Carlton. Good morning, Audrey, and thanks for waiting. <laughs> Good morning and thanks for your program. It's a pleasure. Um, Look, I, I have one query, and that is about potting mix. We're always told to buy the best, pro, you know, the the, the one, yeah, the best quality one, etc. Yep. But I never see a used by date on them. No, and, and as far as I know, they're not by law required to. But I have a, I mean, if I mean, and and the fertilizer generally seems to be the low, slow release fertilizer, mm-hmm. and I can get a bag of potting mix that's supposed to be super duper, and it does absolutely, you know, the plants just kind of sit there in it, yeah. and then I can get another bag, and and it's wonderful, and I'm just wondering if the slow release fertilizer is perhaps exhausted. It I mean, can be. It can be. Yeah, uh, and that is an issue. In fact, if I can buy a potting mix that doesn't have the slow release fertilizer through it, but is still a premium brand potting mix. You add your own. You add your yeah. own and that would be my... And then it's fresh. Yeah, that would be my premium way of dealing with the issue. And there are some that do come without the fertiliser in it and they're, they're the ones I'd actually opt for if you can. And then you add your slow release fertiliser, whether it be Osmocote or one of the other mm. products, as you're potting your plants. Mm. Now, would, how do you... How, how, how do you find these? Because if they don't have the fertilizer in, they don't have the red marker, do they? 
Oh, I, yes. Yeah, they can still be a premium potting mix, but they will, they hopefully will say on the bag that there's no added fertilizer. It should say what's actually added in that, in that potting mix. Yeah. So, yes, read your labels really carefully and see what you come up with. I might add, though, if I used a potting mix that had had the osmocote in it and I was fairly convinced that the osmocote had sort of had its day, I, uh, it's a fairly safe fertiliser from the perspective of the plant. You're not going to overdo it. Yeah, so, so I'd be quite more. happy just to add some more osmocote as you pot up anyway. Right, right. But I agree with you that I would love to see use-by dates put on them because you don't know how long those bags mm. have been sitting in wherever mm. you've bought them from. No, oh, yeah. Yes, they could have been there for, they could have been there for months or years. Yes, exactly. Mm. So I agree with you. I think, uh, and, and I know this has been discussed amongst horticulturists in the, you know, quite recently. So I think that hopefully is, is down the track and, and we will start seeing use by dates. But certainly I'm with Steve and add your own. Yeah. Okay, thank you for that. And I do have one request. Yes. Um, you talk about some fascinating plants and I don't pick up the name when you first start talking about them. Right. And from then on, you refer to this plant by it. And I'd love the name repeated about two or three times while you're well, talking I, I about I do plants. feel that I generally repeat it at least once. But we'll try and do yeah. that again. What we really need listeners to do is to have paper and pencil. But I don't know if I'm interested until I hear about it. <laughs> well, you should That's write everything problem. down, Audrey, because then, then you'll you can know. You cross it off the list yeah, if you're yeah. not interested after all. Yeah, no, I know where you're coming from. No, we, yes, point we, taken. Yes, okay. And, and Steve and I agree that you, you are better than many people at, at repeating it at some point. Yeah, like well, I do try because uh, I know it is an issue for some people and they certainly need the name again. And quite often I will spell it out if it's something that's a little bit sort of complex because I have had people come into my nursery with what they thought they'd written down was the name of a plant and, I, and I've had to do some serious detective work to actually work out what it was they were talking about. I appreciate that too because I never know what, what the right spelling is yeah. and, and then I think, well, how did they say that. Yeah, yes, know. it can be quite an issue, so I do try, well, I mean, we talked about Russ this morning, and I probably should have said that Russ is spelt R-H-U-S, and yeah. I didn't. Right. So there you go. And, okay. and Audrey, just before you go, we've got a little message up on our screen to say that the black five-tick Australian standard logo has no fertiliser, the red five-ticks has fertiliser. Well, that's what I thought, but... but but it, it's how still do you premium. Know if the black one is a, a premium. Oh, it's still it's a premium. Still premium. It's got the five That's ticks. why it's got five ticks. Oh, Less okay. premium have got three ticks ah. or two ticks. Yeah. Okay. Right. Thank you. I haven't been very observant. <laughs> and nor had I because I don't often buy potting mix in bags. I buy it by the truckload. By the bulk. Yeah, yeah. And so I haven't been keeping up with all that sort of stuff either. So that's probably remiss of me. I should have been checking these things occasionally. Okay. Okay. Many thanks. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye. And uh, we have uh, Ali and Armadale back online. Hello again, Ali. Oh, hello, but I think I've been uh, superseded now. All right. Uh, because I always buy the stuff with the black uh, thing on it. Yeah. Good for you, and Good add your own. You. Yes, yeah. add yep. your own fertiliser. It is a much safer way of dealing with it. Yes. Yep. Mm. Okay. okay, thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. We've got some lovely listeners, haven't we? They bring in with all the information we don't have, which is I, I always say, Stephen, that, that this show is a learning exchange between ourselves yeah. and our listeners. Nobody's an expert in anything, yeah. and I love the way our listeners are only too willing to share their, their knowledge and their expertise yeah. in, in that's subjects. That's the way it should be. I mean, it doesn't matter Absolutely. how good a horticulturalist you are, there's always something new to learn, and that's what's 
part of the charm of it. Absolutely. Because we can go on forever learning stuff, whereas if you become an expert in something, how boring. Oh, totally. Yeah, you know, Do you think you, you can't learn anything else in life? Yeah, wouldn't that be awful? Just think if you were the expert in any particular field, oh. uh, it might have a, you might have a sense of superiority due to it, um, but if you've got nothing more to learn... That would That's be right. awful. So, yes, no, I think gardening is all about the learning process. So Absolutely. I'm pleased That's to learn the journey. something. Yep. 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 So there you go. Okay. Um, oh, yes, We leaves. have time to get back to leaves. Now, and got, we I've, will make sure we repeat the name yes, a couple of times. Now, I bought two along that almost look like the same sort of tree until you look at them really closely yes. and you see that the foliage the is actually... The shape is quite different, Yeah, actually. it is different, but they're much the same colour, much the same sort of glossiness to the leaf. And one's actually a crab apple. Right. And one is actually a hawthorn. Okay. So, you know, both in the rosaceae yes, family, yes, but they're not yes. that closely related. No, no, no. Um, the crab apple I bought is a cutleaf crab that comes from uh, the Mediterranean basin, so sort of around Greece and yep. what have you. Um, and, of course, all the crab apples are called malus. Yes. And this one is malus trilobata, meaning three lobes. Three, yep. And it sort of has three lobes, except all the lobes are also cut. So it sort of doesn't work. You have to look, yeah. Yeah, to get the three lobey thing. Three. Yeah. <laughs> now, malus trilobata is a great tree because it gives you great autumn colour. It has very attractive white blossoms in clusters in late spring when all the spring nonsense is pretty well over. And it also gets attractive um, greeny yellow crabs on it, which are not any use for anything, but they look nice on the tree, particularly when the greeny yellow crabs are still on the tree when the tree's turning red, mm. which often happens. The other thing about it is it's got a very upright conical habit. Okay. So it's ideal along boundary lines and things like that where you don't want to offend the neighbours with big branches growing over their side, although they might get annoyed by the crab apples dropping, dropping. on their path. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you can't have everything. Um, and it strikes me as odd that all those upright narrow pears have become so popular and yet this tree does all the same things. Yes. And you don't see it round very much. Yes. It's every bit as hardy. Yes. It probably doesn't grow quite as big, which may actually which be... Which could be a good yeah, thing. Could be a good thing. Yep. Um, and, of course, everybody, when you say it's a crab apple, looks at you as if you're nuts, because it doesn't look like a crab apple, or at least most people's um, opinion of what a crab apple looks like. So that's Malus trilobata, so three-lobed. And the other thing, the hawthorn, which is in much the same sort of colours, is one that's just starting to get popular here, mainly with our Asian um, customers, because apparently the fruit of this particular hawthorn is used a lot in Asian medicine. So it has a medicinal purpose, and I'm not quite sure what that is, so I haven't looked into that side of it yet, but I've had quite a number of Asian people asking for this particular hawthorn. And it's Crataegus, which is all the hawthorns, and unfortunately it's Crataegus pinatifida major. So it's quite a mouthful. Um, but uh, uh, Panatifida uh, is denotes pinnated. the pinnate sort of edges, yep. Yep. Uh, and major being large, so it yes. has larger leaves than yep. the, the wild form. And its leaves are quite a nice size. They're almost vaguely oak-shaped in a way. Mm. So they've got that sort of look about them. Lovely deep red in the autumn. Uh, it gets classical white hawthorn blossoms in the spring. It gets very attractive, rich, dark red berries, which look lovely on the tree. And the hawthorns are another group of trees. That, I mean, there's weedy hawthorns, yes, so we've got to be careful of those. But most of the ornamental hawthorns have never shown any propensity to go weedy, and they've been here for a long time, so I feel reasonably confident in recommending them. And they're drought-tolerant, they're heat-tolerant, they're, they're, they're oh, such Oh, they'll take tough, anything. They're such tough trees. They, they don't need particularly good soil to flourish well. Yep. Um, uh, so they've got a lot of good 
garden sort of features about them, and so they should be used a lot more. And certainly, Crataegus pinnata fidemajor is one of the more spectacular of the hawthorns. Uh, if it has a downside at all, it, it is attacked by cherry slug a little bit. So okay. you will get cherry slug on this one, yep. but you won't get it on all the hawthorns either. So I've been for the for years now sort of trying to find the ones that are less prone or don't get cherry slug because that can make the tree look pretty oh, rotten yes. by the end of the season. Um, and uh, most of the hawthorns, you can actually use the fruit for jellies and things if you want to, so it can be a productive tree in a way. But they're just such pretty little trees. Mm. And funnily enough, there's nearly as many hawthorns that don't have thorns as there are hawthorns that are thorny. And Panatophyta major is one of the non-thorny okay. species. Uh, but again, I, look, people plant roses, so I don't understand why you wouldn't plant something else with prickles on. Exactly. Uh, but, and when it's a tree and it's up in the air and out of your way, well, does it really matter if it's got prickles? So unless the children want to climb it. But well, there you go. They'll have to find a different yeah, tree. Yeah, they'd have to find a different tree. So the ornamental hawthorn should be looked at, and quite a number of them do have particularly good autumn foliage. And they're multi-purpose because you've got the flowers, you've got the foliage, you've got the fruit. So you've got interesting things happening throughout the year, and they're tough. So I think they should be looked at more, and I'll probably bring in other hawthorns as the year goes by uh, to show some more of them because it is an underutilised genus, mm. and there's some really, really good stuff in the hawthorns. Mm. So that's one of the Chinese hawthorns. Um, have we got any more calls coming in? Uh, just we checking? do have a couple, so we might All right, well, let's uh, do that. go to those couple of calls. First up, we have uh, Ken out in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning to the both of you. How are you? I'm good as a mallee bull, I think. Good. good. If I was any fitter, I'd be scared of myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's them fighting spirit, Ken. Yes. (laughs) Oh, we've always got to be. Look, the trees you were talking about, Stephen, before, but over on on nature strip trees, the ones that have been butchered, a a butcher of a premier made us do that because they put the Optus line down the side, so we must never forget to ever vote for butchers, and there's elections coming up. (laughs) Yes, we have got elections (laughs) coming up, you're right. Yesterday on the ABC, I'm glad to hear you back on the ABC. Oh, that was fun, I enjoyed that. I'll be regularly in there now. It was very good. Yeah, so, yes, I'm enjoying it. So it's funny going back, though. It's, I mean, it's, I used to do the program with Derek Guild on uh, Thursday afternoon, way back in the early 2000s, and uh, walking back into the ABC studios in South Bank again, it was really quite surreal, actually. But, yeah, I did have a good time, and Hilary Harper's a lovely lady to work with. Yes, and, and, and of course she's ex-3CR. Yes, artists, exactly. You anyway, I'm glad you're back, and I hope you finish up on some other show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for that vote of uh, confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. So, yeah, people follow gardening programs around too, don't they? You know, oh, yes. Yeah, so if, you, if you're on one and you're caught on the other, everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> which, which reminds me that I've picked up on some of our regular listeners on some of the other shows too on Talkback, so yes, there you go. Yes, it's not just the presenters. No, it's no. not just the presenters. Yeah, yes, the ringers inners oh, do yes. the same thing. In fact, I've, I've heard a couple of them ring in and ask the same question. Of another radio Just station. Out yeah, the information we gave out. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> yes, yes. You, you do wonder whether they trust you or not sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. Okay, we have Gwen online. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, everyone. Um, hi, well, it's not what I rang in about, but while I was 
I'm holding on here. I heard Stephen talking about the hawthorns, but he didn't mention that's the clan flower of the Elliot clan. Oh, well, see, oh, I didn't it? know that, Gwen. Oh, see, there we are. Look, we keep learning. Yeah, we, we do Stephen? keep learning. I'll have to use that on my labels now. <laughs> <laughs> moment so he's not listening to me saying this but yeah, yeah I know it's the, the clan, I think a lot of cl- uh, Scottish clans have got their you know, particular flowers no. like we've got a, a state flower for every state in yeah. Australia you know yeah. Well there you go, so the Hawthorne is the Elliot clan flower, it I is. must remember that it is. Now that's either a reason to grow it or not grow it that's yeah, Well yes exactly, you can take that as you wish <laughs> Now what I rang in about, we're talking about potting mixes and whether they should have a use by date, yeah. yes. um and look, I agree with everything that was said on there about the potting mixes. The uh, the thing that wasn't mentioned, and I went out and looked at a, a bag or two that I've got here at the moment and I can't see it, but I know they used to put on the potting mixes store out of direct sunshine. Um, now, I think this probably affects the longevity of the whole situation. It yes, would. it yeah. would. Yeah, it, it applies he... to us once we've bought it and taken it home, but it also applies to nurseries that, you know, sometimes you see them under a veranda or something like that. Other times they're right out. In, sometimes they're under a tarp. Yeah. Yeah. Other times they're in direct sunshine. Yes. And I think this ex, um, affects the life um, usability of the potting mm. mixes too. So Good mm. point. Put it in a sheltered spot and look for a nursery that's got it stored in a sheltered spot. Yeah, because Osmocote is released by warmth. It's not yeah. released by water so no, much. So if the potting mix gets hot, it's going to release the Osmocote and, uh, yeah. and then the value of it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's you're right, Gwen. I thought I'd add. Good, yeah. thank you for that. Okay. Very good point. Thanks, See you Gwen. Later. Bye. 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 I must make sure the Elliots get a hawthorn blossom at the appropriate time of the year, mustn't I? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to Lee in Merrick's North. Good morning, Lee. Oh, good morning. Good morning. I heard you too yesterday, Stephen, on ABC. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Um, I'm looking at I'm on Merrick's North where we've had the most dismal summer because there's been it's as dry as chips oh, down here and our yes. dams dry. Yeah. I have to say you're not alone, but yes, I, I'm on the same page with you. Yes. The uh, the gardens are doing a thing of its own. All of my roses are covered in lovely, rich, bronze, new growth. Yeah. I haven't pruned them yet, and I suggested to my fellow who comes and does a few things for me the other day that he might prune the garden, the roses. No, no, he said it's too early. Mm. But looking at them, and they've gone into sort of full spring growth. Yeah. Oh, look, it doesn't surprise me we've had that little bit of autumnal rain, which just sort of took the pressure off a bit, and I'm assuming you got it down in Merricks as a well little, as we got it. A little. Yeah, but it's almost just enough, and we've had the warm weather has... Pers- persisted quite well and so yes they're going into another flush now if we don't get some seriously cold weather shortly you'll actually get another flush of flowers so yes i'm with your gardener on this i wouldn't prune the roses oh, yet okay. yeah, there, are, a, there are a few buds and i'm sort of looking at them yeah, thinking, look, oh, you, you may get you a may may well. flush which you you should revel in Okay. So, right. yes, I would hold back on the rose pruning because right. uh, I reckon that there's still a chance, depending on how the weather goes. And, look, they're talking about it being warm-ish right through over the next seven days. They I, are. I was listening to the long-term forecast yeah. um, last night. And so it's supposed to be sort of in the 20s right the way through the next seven days or so. And you'll only need probably a fortnight of that. And, yeah, you'll have a garden full of roses again. Oh, they're looking pretty scraggy and leggy and oh you yeah, know, but that, that, that's sort of part of it. it. But that that that's mm. the, applies to roses every year at this time. Yeah, so I wouldn't and worry about that. Just love the flowers and pick them yeah. and take okay. them in the house well, and all that. Stuff. I've even had asparagus spears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a little out of season, isn't that it? That certainly it is. is. That yeah. is. They're yeah. not very big. They're not very. Um, 
you know, luscious, but they're, they're, they're coming up. They're about a 30 centimetres high. Good and heavens. And I've been eating them. So. Good heavens. Yep, well, there you go. See, there can be quite a lot of bonuses from a sort of a, <laughs> an Indian summer. Oh, dear. Okay, thank you very much. That's okay, pleasure. thanks, Bye. Lee. Bye. Um, which reminds me, I was going to quickly um, mention that... Uh, for years I've avoided growing it, but, but this year I decided to bite the bullet because Karen Sutherland was in here mm. one time and gave me a choco out of her oh, garden. Oh, right, yes. So I thought, oh, I've only got one. Yeah. I'll blow it, I'll plant it. Yeah. I've got space for it to, to yeah, grow. Yeah, to do its thing. Well, is it doing its thing at the moment? I'm going to have the biggest crop of chocos you've ever seen. But I was have you lo- got lots of choco recipes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm madly, madly looking them up. Yeah. But, but the, it's, it's intrigued me because I, I did do a little bit of research on it the other day because I was talking to my neighbour mm-hmm. and my neighbour loves chocos, which I thought, great, oh, cool. I've, yes, got, I've got a ready market. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, he was talking about his mother's chocos and, and I said, look, would you like some when mine are ready? And he said, I'd love some, but please make sure they're little. So I, I did a bit of research. Um, it's recommended that you pick your chocos when they're no longer than six centimetres in length. Now, oh, you think small. about it's very small. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the point of that is, and, and I did pick some and I actually steamed some last night. Um, the point is, you, firstly, you don't have to peel them. Mm. Secondly, the inside stony bit yeah. um, is just as edible because it hasn't really oh, it hasn't developed. Up, yep. So you can you can just use the whole thing whole or just chop it in half or into yeah. quarters and and Does steam it. Does it have any flavour? And it's sweeter. <laughs> it is slightly sweeter. Yeah. But no, again, it's yeah. you've you've got to add flavour. You yeah, can't. Yeah. Chocos are fillers, really, aren't they? In a way. Well, yeah, but then I'm thinking, you know, if 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 Indians make pumpkin curry, well, yeah. why can't we do yeah. well, I something know more along the lines of really there must, spicy there choco must dishes? There be a reunion choco cookbook <laughs> out there somewhere <laughs> because, of course, reunion's just about covered in chocos and they, they use them for everything. They do sort of chocos in a cheesy sauce sort of but even that's not strong enough. I'm yeah. thinking more Caribbean, yeah. you know. Yeah, you should you, be able to do that. You need spicy, and, and so mm. I'm going to be experimenting all this all, right, all well, this I order with chocos. I look to the reports on how you do with it all, because <laughs> I always think of them as sort of just something that fills you up. Oh, I know. Because they're not really exciting. My husband on takes one look and turns up his nose. And yeah, well, I don't blame Cordell. It's like eating water. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it is a bit like that. But yeah. the, other, the other thing I did, I did turn up in my research was that you can steam the leaves. Oh, yes, now, I know the leaves are edible. Yes, yeah. and I, maybe they have a bit more flavour. I'm going to try some. But the other thing is you can dig up the roots if you want to. Now, I've only got one plant, so, so I'm not going to do, do that, that yet. No. No. But apparently they can be like potato. Oh, really? Yeah. So, goodness. there you go. Yes, multi-purpose plant. Multi-purpose. So, yeah. maybe the roots I've have got more flavour. I'm still not convinced that you've got me ready to plant them. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow. Well, well, I might be able to report back on some really spicy recipes. That yeah. Yep, and they good. also say you can, you can actually mash them, mm. uh, cook them, mash them, and use them as uh, part of your filling in cakes. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Well, you might need if to have lots of If any listeners have the most fantastic recipe for chocos, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you may need all those recipes I once might. it starts coming into full production. <laughs> but, but I must say, they're really pretty. The little, 
the little flowers that then turn yeah. to these little lantern bells almost hanging along the yeah. along the, the branches, along the tendrils. It, it is very attractive. Oh, and the well. bees are going in there. The yeah. bees are loving them. So, oh, well. I'm, if nothing else, I've, I've got variety in my veggie garden again, yeah. which I love. Yeah, look, it's nice to have different stuff you can deal with. And there's nothing much that I can harvest at the moment. I've harvested all my pumpkins, yeah. you know, so it's... And it's given me something to talk to the neighbours about. Well, exactly, yes. So, yes, well, hopefully good. your chocos aren't going to choke the neighbours, but there you go. <laughs> oh, they love them. They've yeah. already eaten a whole bag full and, and, yeah, they'll be happy to have some more. Oh, well, that, so, well, that's handy too because uh, there's nothing worse than a glut. And if you've got somebody else who will help you with the glut, that's... It's wonderful. Good. Yeah, exactly. We're going to go to Bill, who's in Churnside Park. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning, uh, panel. Oh, you've, uh, got a, you've got a bit of a, an accent there, Bill. Well, of course, I think I'll die with the accent. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, well uh, that's one thing. Is, well, you can't cultivate an accent if you're in the accent profession. No. <laughs> but what I was going to talk about was the hawthorn. Oh, right. It's very interesting. You're saying that uh, they're growing, growing in China and they use them for medical uh, purposes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. I, I do remember the hawthorns, uh, especially when trying to cross a farmer's field and they had a bull actually in the field and <laughs> he had, if you had to make a dash for it yeah. and there was hawthorns actually sort of in your path, he ended up coming out pretty nasty at the other side. Yes, <laughs> yes you'd come through looking like you'd had a fight yeah, with a tiger. But the hawthorn was always a wonder. I, I know it was well grown in Scotland. It mm. was uh, all over and they haven't trekked over many sort of farmlands and into the, the countryside. It was a it was it was something always it was something similar to the stinging nettle. Yeah. Yes. And the stinging nettle, uh, the only cure for the stinging nettle was a dock leaf. Yes. The dock leaves were a, the, the cure for them, but uh, how many a brush I had with them, uh, uh, the memory is still very strong. As a, as a young burn. <laughs> but there, there was one thing I was going to bring up, and that was like uh, where you have like a paper bark tree. If you've had, uh, like, uh, I have a patch where, whereby the grass isn't growing. I'd imagine it's the size of the tree and all of the foliage on a tree, but, uh, I did have mushrooms coming up around the tree mm-hmm. at a certain patch, and now that patch has just increased, but I put it down to the lack of water. There's a, there's been quite a bit of a, a dry spell. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, but the, the other thing was, how do you treat that? Is there a, is there any kind of grass that you can use that will effectively sort of uh, uh, come up? In really heavy shade, no. Some of the grass blends that are being sold are supposed to cope with 80% shade. Yeah. Um, so they still need to get some good light. Um, but once you get beyond that, um, there's probably no grass species that is going to make a reasonable swath of grass. Um, and, of course, it's also the competition with tree roots and for moisture and nutrients and things. So if you are going to try and grow grass under trees, even if you've got the sort of 80% or more um, uh, or 20% sun or more, so you've got the 80% shade 
issue. Uh, you can still fail because you don't keep enough moisture and, and fertiliser up. And any grass that's growing under big trees won't wear well either. So no. even if you get grass growing, you're going to wear it out if you walk across it a lot. So the only thing is artificial grass. Well, you, you could go that way. Uh, it's not a way I would personally like to see people go because I'm not yeah. altogether sure about the carbon footprint of plastic mm-hmm. grass personally. Uh, I'd be more inclined actually to uh, turn those sorts of areas into uh, a mulched bed area and have some drought-tolerant species of plants growing in there and not actually use dry that. Shade a, yeah, dry shade-loving plants, things like cliveas, uh, ruscus, the butcher's broom. There's a whole range of plants that will actually grow in really dry, dark shade. I mean, they're not going to be walkable, but instead of having a bare patch of ground, it's probably the preferable way to go. Yep. Oh, yeah, well, the only thing is that I suppose the time's marching on, isn't it? 9.14, you've only got one minute. That's right, so we are going to have to go. Yeah, Yeah. but that's a few ideas for you anyway. Thank you very much. All right, we'll catch up. Bye. Bye. And as we've just said, we have run out of time for yet another week. Um, A huge thank you to uh, Jan and Chloe, who've been managing the phones this morning. We, of course, will be back in our usual time slot at uh, 7.30 next Sunday morning. We'd love you to join us then. Uh, In the meantime, bye for now.